United, another exciting week where we got some great movies to talk about, and uh, I'm Jamie, and we're, of course, joined by Dean and the rain-drenched Adam. You live in in Charlotte. I do, Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm right in the path of of the storm, and it's coming down really hard right now as we take this, and it's, it's a little... A little unnerving, but so mm-hmm. far so good, and we're hoping that we're going to make make it through. Because in the next uh, 12, 16 hours, they're saying it's going to move out. So if I can make it another 12, 16 hours, I might be okay. So just okay. Look, look out your window. Look look out your window. Do you see Anderson Cooper out there? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a sure sign. Uh, that's great. Yeah, you're I was doomed to Bill... if you do. I <laughs> uh, know exactly. Yeah, look out. Um, yeah, the I was listening to Bill Maher over the weekend, or watching him rather, the real time, and he said uh, they should do a book about cable news call and call it "Fool in the Rain," <laughs> and I yeah. have to agree. I saw this interesting video. It was in Wilmington, which is about four hours from where I live. And there's a guy standing out there, and he's swaying back and forth, and the wind's supposedly mm-hmm. blowing him. And in the background, there are two people walking down the street perfectly. Like, they're not moving at all except normal as you would normally walk. Uh, right. And yet he is moving back back and forth as if he's about to get blown completely off the face of the earth. So you and think he was directed to do that? I think so. I think I made me wonder if they even brought their wind machines maybe to the <laughs> – make it look dramatic. Yeah, it's some, it's some Chaplin-esque uh, performance going on there. That's right. <laughs> So yeah. that's uh, it makes you it makes you wonder how much of this is 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 put up for effect. I mean, it's dangerous and it's scary, and we've had some power outages and some some people have. Uh, I mean, it has there's some been some bad stuff, but sometimes I wonder about the severity of it all when you get down to yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, people have died, and uh, you know, I was watching that Bill Maher too, and he said, really, it's a local news story. It doesn't have to be covered on CNN, but uh, it's two states. Uh, that's that's not local. Yeah, that is local, true. Local would be Char- Charlotte. Uh, yes. Two states in our country is not a local story. But uh, anyway. Uh, okay. Let's get to something big right off the bat. <laughs> Dean, you've oh, seen yeah. A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I saw that on... Uh, uh, Thursday night, um, it played at the Atlantic Station Theater here in Atlanta, and um, Bradley Cooper was in attendance. Um, 
uh, was interviewed on stage by a TCM host and producer, and um, he seemed very glad to have audiences finally embracing the film, which they did really wildly by uh, giving it a standing ovation, which is the first I've ever seen in a screening ever. But everybody was wrapped with attention. Of course, they couldn't look at their phones or anything because all of those had been, they said they would confiscate anybody with, uh, anybody's phone and said that they threw 20 people out of the last screening So for having them out. So, um, so people were good and kept their phones uh, away, and uh, I was thankful for that. Uh, so um, the movie... Uh, was absolutely stunning. I think uh, recently um, somebody broke the embargo on it um, by putting up a review too early, and they said it was the greatest movie since Citizen Kane or something like that. And uh, I I think that's going a little overboard. I think we need a little bit more time to figure that out. But let me just say it is a great great movie and remember this is the fourth per- version of it uh, done previously in 1937 by William Wellman who uh, along with uh, Robert Carson won the film's only Oscar for its original story uh, a category that doesn't exist obviously anymore um, but uh, it's obviously a good story because it's been filmed three other times Um that first time, uh, is, uh, Janet Gaynor is the film newcomer, uh, overshadowing uh, her husband, uh, played by Frederick March, the film director. It was a version done by David O. Selznick in Technicolor. Of course, there's a 54 version done by George Cukor and uh, has Judy Garland um, introducing musical element. Uh, I think that's her best performance. Um, uh, as Esther Blodgett. Um, and the husband there is uh, James Mason. Um, Cukor's version was famously recut by the studio and was then restored partially in 1983. But the Cukor film in both versions remains unarguably the most lauded version for a very long time, until now. Uh, and then, of course, the version that most people know the 1976 version with uh, uh, Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, and um, that—that's the version that this most, this newest one most resembles. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, this version uh, has uh, uh, Bradley Cooper playing uh, Jackson Maine, which. Uh, 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 the name of the character in the um, in the um, uh, Judy Garland version is uh, Norman Maine, and um, so Bradley Cooper was in attendance. And um, let me just tell you, people dug this movie really, really hard, and I'm I'm along with them 100%. I think it's a really, really great film. Unbelievable sound work. In that first scene, when the first scene comes on, uh, amazing sound work. Uh, Jackson Maine is doing his first his concert 
this was uh this was filmed at uh, at um I think uh uh it might have been filmed at Coachella but uh it was filmed uh, in front of a live audience and very quickly uh like about 8 minutes um but uh they didn't even, before they didn't even know what had happened and they were already done cuz they did it all in one shot um the cinematography is by Matthew Libatique, who did, who's worked with uh, Darren Aronofsky and so forth, and um, uh, Black Swan and Mother, and sp- spectacular work, amazing, um, great sound. Uh, so at the beginning, uh, Jackson, our lead character, is finishing off a bottle of whiskey, wants to go to a club after the opening show, after closing the show. He goes into a drag bar where Allie, played by Lady Gaga, is singing La Vie en Rose on stage. And uh, in real life, Cooper saw her singing this at a benefit and decided to use it in the movie. Um, uh, she stops for a pause in the song towards its end and lays down on the stage and looks up into Jackson's eyes, stunning moment. Um, uh, but uh, then we we move on. He's he's uh, he's Im- immediately smitten with her, and um, uh, um, he he follows her around a little bit and uh, takes her out to. Uh, she smashes somebody in the face, and he gets some uh, frozen peas for her hand, and and uh, that starts her, her the whole. Uh, relationship rolling, and uh, uh, let me just tell you, uh, uh, he really resembles Chris Christopherson in this movie, with his beard and and everything and his wiry frame. Um, uh, he co-wrote the movie with Eric Roth, who did Forrest Gump. Don't let that scare you off. Uh, and um, and Will Nettles. And uh, he's he's a director, he's a producer, along with John Peters, um, who of course produced the uh, Stryfan version, and um, he co-wrote some of the songs and uh, the screenplay, and uh, and of course it's the lead. So he could be up for five, maybe seven Oscars. Who knows? Is a fantastic movie. It's great. Uh, it's a great movie. Um, I think uh, I think it'll set records this uh, season for uh, Oscar nominations and so forth. I don't want to jinx it because people people get get tired of hearing about a movie if it's released too early, and uh, so that might be a, pr- a problem for it. But uh, anyway, it's a great movie. It's fantastic. It will it will leave you devastated. It's it's a very sad movie, uh, but uh, uh, it's it's perfectly made. It's almost there's a, I can't think of anything wrong with it, and uh, wow. completely completely great uh, um, casting. You know, you know from the from the trailer that Dave Chappelle is in it as uh, um, Jackson's best friend. What about That's Sam it. Elliott? Everybody's saying he may get a supporting actor Oscar as the uh, 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 nominee nomination for playing his brother in that. Yeah, he's fantastic. 
it's great to see him. He, his best, his great scene is the last scene, and um, oh boy, it is, it is what a movie! It is devastating. It will definitely, definitely wring the tears out out of you, and um, it's very joyful too. And uh, am I gonna snort again in a theater? <laughs> you might snort. I think you. I think you'll probably. It'll probably be a loud snort. Uh, well, here's, here's, Ramos here's what is, they say uh, about it. They say they say that like uh, for a movie with such kind of stereotypical elements in it, um, you know, like you can't, you know, there's lots of stereotypes with love stories, and then there's lots of stereotypes with addiction stories. But they say that he imbues both of those plot threads oh. with such authenticity. Yes, it's very fresh. It's very fresh. Uh, um, the music too, uh, which was written at the same time that the uh, screenplay was written, uh, seems uh, you know intertwined. They both seem very intertwined, and uh, nothing seems out of place. And uh, there's a wide range of types of music in it too, from country songs to uh, rock to uh, rock, more rock flavored songs to obviously uh, Lady Gaga uh, dance hits and stuff like that. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I think there's something in it for everybody, and um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's fantastic. It's a fantastic movie. It's it's just really really wonderful. Um, I, after the show, um, uh, uh, Bradley Cooper came on and talked about some of his influences. Uh, he included David O. Russell. Who taught him to shoot a film very fast? And this film shot in 42 days and shot wow. largely in sequence. Wow. Uh, which that's pretty amazing. Um, uh, uh, Chris Thompson and Streisand made a set visit, and he he recalled the the scene that he that they. They were there for, but I can't remember what it was. And uh, and uh, also also Clint Eastwood, of course, who directed him in uh, American Sniper, uh, came and uh, yeah. I wonder how much they changed the script from what Eastwood was going to make with Beyonce. Yeah, that's a good question. That is a good question. Uh, he, he he didn't say anything about that. So, um, in fact, surprisingly, nobody asked that. Mm. Uh, they put all the questions in a box, and they just picked questions, picked through the questions. So nobody, nobody quite asked that. But um, uh, he he said he didn't know what he was going to do next, but he has chosen something. He just doesn't want to talk talk about it now. Uh, um, someone asked him who he thought was the unsung hero of the movie, and he mentioned a guy named Scott Sakamoto. Who was the uh, A camera operator? Uh, who probably did uh, a lot of those shots, long shots through the through crowds and so forth. And he said he got him on one, one or two takes. One, well, he got him on one take because they had to do it live. They had to do it immediately without anybody knowing what was going on. So he's one of the reasons uh, that the movie works. Mm. Um, 
I heard budget that, for the uh, movie is thirty-eight million. It took four years to make. Hmm. It's pretty reasonable in this yeah. day and age. Yeah. I heard that uh, he and uh, Lady Gaga grew very close during the shoot. I had read a pretty extensive piece on the making of it, and they said they they had never met, but they just had chemistry immediately, and, mm-hmm. and that really. Uh, I guess that's one of the reasons why it comes across on screen because it, it they really just connected. I think. I think so. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it is fantastic. I I, I really you know, I I've, I've talked on the show about this little bell that goes off in my head when I see best picture and I I think this is it. And the only thing that's that's maybe harming it is the fact that it's coming out early and and people might be tired of it. But I think people will love this movie. Will really love it. It's sad. Of course, if you've seen any of the other versions, you know how it goes. But uh, uh, it's it's great. It's it's the best version of this story. Beautifully shot. Everything about it is great. Um, I mean, I'm serious. It could get something like 15 to 17 Oscar nominations, uh, which would be uh, unheard of. But... Uh, it could easily break that record, and certainly Cooper could break the record for a person with most nominations in one year, uh, and he's certainly going to win one of those. So uh, he could. Yeah, he could, he'll be he'll be the new Warren Beatty. Yeah, there yeah. You go. He will be. He will be. Yep. Uh, that's that's exactly right. So yeah, just, just smell his index finger. Find out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Then he can Sorry. make his Howard Hughes movie, right? <laughs> and another thirty years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So fantastic movie. Cannot cannot say uh, enough great things about it. Um, just stunning. Well, you know. good. Good. Well, yeah. back in February when Sean Penn was singing its praises, uh, that was. That kind of alerted me that this might be something more than just the run-of-the-mill remake. Because yeah, because he, he doesn't really, do that very often. No, and, no, uh, and he was really over the moon about it. I mean, you could tell he wasn't just saying that. He was very enthusiastic. He said it even made him reconsider his decision to retire from acting. Mm. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, um, apparently he saw it three times. Uh, <laughs> uh, first time in the editing room, and then... Uh, the second two times in uh, bigger auditoriums, and um, yeah, yeah, he uh, Cooper said he's a no bullshit guy, so I thank him for saying that. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Huh. Well, it it played at Toronto, and it didn't. Uh, people thought it would win the audience award, any kind of special award, but it didn't. I don't think. Uh-huh. Uh, that movie, the movie Green Room that Farrelly directed, won the audience award there, which they say is another really good audience movie. That audiences eat that movie up. Okay, interesting. Mahershala Ali and uh, Viggo Mortensen, I think. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that one. Yeah, I saw saw the trailer for yeah. it. So wouldn't it be interesting uh- if? Peter Farrelly found himself at the Oscars. <laughs> that would be. That would be. <laughs> that would be. 
I'd like to what see the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. It's a new era. Yep. I would like to see that. Just yeah. just for giggles. Yeah. Uh the other movie that I saw is Blaze. Uh the new film by uh, another actor turned director, uh Ethan Hawke. It's about Blaze Foley and his romance with uh um uh Sybil uh Sybil Rosen. Uh the romance takes the center stage. It's sort of like it reminded me a little bit of uh like Cobiner's Daughter, how you know how in Cobiner's Daughter like it's it becomes less about the rise of um Lorel Lynn and more about their the romance between the two. Um uh yeah, this was a great movie, but a little too long and uh it's two it's two hours and forty minutes long, I think. And uh that's a long time to spend on a uh, on a uh person who you've never heard their music before. Didn't they do an episode of him on the Tales from the Tour bus last year? They the, did. They I did. was going to say that was my first exposure to him was on that animated show. Yeah, same Tales from same, the Tour bus. Same here. Yeah, the yeah. Mike Judge show. Yes. But, um, uh, it's really good. the The lead is uh, Ben Dickey. Uh, I don't know if he's a rela- any relation to uh, uh, James Dickey, the uh, writer of Deliverance, <laughs> uh, but he's a Texan. Uh, Texas guy, so probably not. Um, uh, the movie is really, really good, though. It's very dark, very dark, because uh, in real life, Blaze Foley died very early in mm-hmm. his uh, life. He uh, died at I think forty or thirty, and uh, had not didn't get to release an album. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it just sort of sank into obscurity, but, um, they're trying to rectify that, and, uh, uh, it's a very, very sweet romance, it's got a, it's got a couple of interesting cameos in it from, uh, Sam Rockwell, Steve Zahn, and, um, Richard Linkletter play, uh, producers that try to, uh, tempt him with a contract, kind of devilish producers, um, Charlie Sexton is he? A, he's a musician, isn't he? Sure. Yeah. He's uh, and, big uh, in the late '80s. Yeah, he plays uh, Towns Van Sant, and uh, he acts as the movie sort of. Uh, he, he acts as the narrator, kind of the wraparound narrator. There's an interviewer coming in to uh, to interview him about Blaze, and uh, and uh, uh, we return to that. Uh, periodically throughout the film and uh it is it it is uh it is a very dark movie as i said it's a little bit too much uh maybe this is true of uh of the character the real person but uh a little too much talking before the music you know i think maybe that was something that killed his career chances is that he would spend his time on stage talking more than he would actually playing. And, uh, uh, of course, he's the writer of, uh, 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 Tom Van Sant wrote, uh, I think, uh, um, uh, 
Blaze also wrote uh, Poncho and Lefty. I'm not sure. Sounds about right. Yeah. The uh, the Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson. Uh, who else did it? Who else was it? Um, did Merle Haggard do that? Merle I Haggard. Remember. I can't okay. remember. No, is it? Uh, yeah, I can't remember now. Maybe he did. Maybe there was four of them. Um, uh, it's it's a very very good movie, um, but not an easy watch. Not an easy watch. Uh, I have to say. Sometimes those are the best, though. They stay yep. with you at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it, if it does well, maybe uh, he'll be inspired to, to do the Johnny Johnny Paycheck movie. That would be. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> that would be a. Ethan Hawke. I'd like to see that. I really would. Does he want to? Does he want to do a Johnny Paycheck movie? No, I'm just saying that. I'm doing. There was around, an episode but, of but Tales of the to Tour Bus that was yeah. about jo- Johnny Paycheck, and it was one of the more interesting, oh. most oh, interesting ones. It's amazing. Yeah. If anybody hasn't seen huh. that, that that uh, Mike Judge show. Tales from the Tour Bus, they did, I think it was like eight episodes, and yeah. it's animated, of course, and each episode covers the life of one of these country rebels, and uh, and it's just amazing. I, I can't, I mean, I could, it, I, if they put out another one each week for the rest of my life, I could never get enough of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really, really great, and uh, I guess they did two episodes on uh, Loretta Lynn and uh, George Jones. Well, they did Tammy Tammy oh, Wynette and, and George Jones. Tammy yeah, Wynette. because they had so much yeah. material, they couldn't get it all in one episode. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah man. They they they, uh, they they lived here in my town. Uh-huh. Uh, when they got married, when they got married, they moved here to Lakeland. So, which is weird. Uh, but uh, yeah, they were uh, quite combustible when they were here. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, but, uh, but I'd yeah. love the Johnny Paycheck is just it's a it's so amazing and I I said man that'd make a great movie if somebody would do that. <laughs> it's a Didn't really make fun a movie. Show. Didn't they make a movie called Take This Job and Shove It? They, they did, did yeah. back in Robert the late seventies. Was in that? Yeah. yeah, that was the Robert Hayes from Airplane was in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Uh, and uh, Susan St. James was it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, Robert it, it, Robert Hayes and Susan St. James. Also, <laughs> uh, James Curtin. God, I, it sucks that we don't have a blockbuster anymore. I would run right out. I don't think that would even be in the blockbuster. <laughs> there was a time when it was. I yes, can remember. It's true. It might be at your local pawn shop somewhere on on VHS. Yeah, it'd be, I think it's it'd out be right there on. next to uh, the night the lights went out in Georgia. Yeah, side by side. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, Harper Valley PTA with Barbara Eaton. Uh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow. And uh, the other and side of the mountain. <laughs> Ode to Billy Joe. Ode to Billy <laughs> Joe. Yeah. <laughs> All these songs yeah, that's a fa- that's a fascinating story. How she disappeared, like she disappeared, and uh, willingly, Bobby Gentry. And oh, she yes. had that. She had that massive hit, and then she kind of. Ducked out. She retired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, somebody did track her down a couple of months ago and wrote an article about it. But you know, they had to respect her privacy because she just isn't interested in being exposed or being out there. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, she she had a couple of country hits. I remember there was one called Fancy that was pretty that that was a pretty big hit. <laughs> and it's it's really good too. And there was I think maybe one or two others and, and like you said, she just disappeared. She vanished. Yeah. No, I like that I like that old country stuff. Up until the eighties and then I Oh yeah. Yeah. I like even some eighties stuff, but uh but certainly, yeah, that's certainly what I'm country saying. is dead yeah. now. Um uh yeah. Yeah, it's all anthems about red solo cups and things of that nature. Right. So. Lifestyle signifiers. <laughs> yeah, right. You know. Product uh, placement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, okay, so simple. the other movie is How. Uh, it is by uh, Amy Scott. She's a documentarian who's done some other uh, previous films. Do you know who she is, Jamie? Yeah. Yeah. Um Amy Scott? Yes. Amy Scott. It yeah, is about I've been, I've been following the I've been following her in the movie on Twitter for the past year or so while she was making it. Mm-hmm. It's very good. It's in in a way it's kind of a fan film. But yeah. a really, really great one. Got uh, interviews with um, Jeff Bridges and Haskell Wexler and uh, Alexander Payne, um, Pablo Ferro, who designed wow. the credits for uh, Doctor Strangelove and so many great movies, um, Judd Apatow. Uh, it's a very touching film about. Uh, Kind of an unsung genius, as we know, but uh, didn't really get into his uh, the uh, his downfall. You know, his, uh, I guess he had a sort of a drug addiction or something. Uh, I'm not sure. I could be mixing him up with uh, with Sam Peckinpah, but uh, um, I think he had a little bit of a drug thing, but it, it wasn't to the degree that Sam Peckinpah's was. Yeah, yeah, the the drugs the drugs didn't uh, the drugs didn't kind of lead to his downfall. No, because uh, I I just I I think it was his temperament of uh, nobody's gonna fuck with my movie um, uh, that yeah. uh, led to his downfall <laughs> more than anything. Yeah, and we actually had one of the main guys that is blamed for his downfall on the show a few years ago, the producer Mark Damon. Was one of the producers on Eight Million Ways to Die, and he was the one that decided to hire Hal, and he was the one who eventually fired Hal. And uh, Hal had the film in his in his house; he was editing it in his house, and he wouldn't let it go. <clears throat> they had to bring people in and drag it out. Wow, uh, sad. It really is. Well, it's funny how all through this. All through the seventies, his movies are fantastic, and uh, then then once the eighties come, it's all downhill from there. Uh, although I like looking to get out a lot, and uh, I like it too. But I tell you, I could not. As much as I adore Hal Ashby, I could not watch that Robert Blake movie. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I tried to watch that too. Robert Blake and Diane Diane Cannon was it? Yeah, Secondhand Hearts. Yeah, yeah. that's the one. Yep. Now wasn't 
I'm thinking that was shot actually before being there, but I might be wrong about that. But I think it was shot and then shelved and then that might be that might be the case. I'm not sure. I think it was, and he got lucky because had that come out before being there, he his career, he you know, he, he wouldn't have had that perfect yeah. record. Like yeah, no, yeah. But I think yeah, there was. A, I be- a, yeah, it's a beautiful book that was written about Hal Ashby. Uh, oh yes. Loved by it. Nick Dawson a few years ago, and uh, it it always confounds me because it really, obviously, it, he died of cancer. I think he died of maybe pancreatic cancer or something. Okay. And uh, Warren Beatty was the guy that forced him to go to the doctor and get a diagnosis, mm-hmm. and uh, and he had a lot of people that were very close to him up until the very end that adored him. But, yeah, they uh, have it, it, the movie opens with Beatty. I mean, I think I, I think he died um, mostly because he was just so much subterfuge in his career towards the end. I mean, a broken hearted. But uh, it is interesting to me how people would hire Hal Ashby and not let him make a Hal Ashby film. Yeah, like they yeah. were determined. They were determined to take away his voice. Like, why hire him? Yeah, uh, and Million Ways to Die is a prime example. I mean, the people that worked on that movie are like, you know, uh, this this was going to be a gr- this was going to be one of the great movies uh, because uh, and it, you just had to trust in Hal, and nobody, none of the executives that hired him did. I wonder I if they even liked or saw the uh, previous Hal Ashby movies. Might not have been their thing. Well, he was a lot like, I mean, he and Altman were different, but I think that they were similar in the way that a lot of what they did was on the fly. Yeah. Uh, creating on in the moment. And studios didn't want that. They wanted they wanted you to film this shot on this day mm-hmm. as as scheduled. And they'd be in their trailer figuring out, you know, how, how we could, you know, taking all the time in the world to figure out how something could play. Yeah. I think you're right, and I, I I think they probably were of the mindset that that found people like Hal Ashby to be uh, like hippies, you know, like in the '80s the hippies were old hat, and yeah, probably. I mean, just culturally, he was out of his element in '80s Hollywood. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I mean, what do you do with a Hal Ashby in 1980s Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't see him going over and making making something like Batteries Not Included or something like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It would be a two-hour monologue of a woman talking to her vibrator. That would be his version of Batteries Not right. Included. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, I love Hal yeah. Ashby. Yeah, he, me too. He's great. And uh, the movie is the movie is very fine. Uh, I wouldn't say it's great, but I th- like I said, it's a fan film, and if you love Hal Ashby, you're going to love it. And if yeah. you don't know who Hal Ashby is, it's a good intro. Yeah, it's important, I think, that people familiarize themselves with him. Yeah. Uh, because especially in a, in a period of cinema that... Uh, was so oppressive because it was dealing with a lot of oppressive themes that were dominating the time. 
uh, Hal Ashby's movies really stood out because they, I mean, they could, they still dealt with those issues, like, you know, most famously with coming home in Vietnam. But at the same time, he had, you feel such goodwill he had towards people. Like, he had such an open-heartedness to his characters. Yeah. And to people in general, I think. In his he movies. liked oddballs. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and and one thing that I, I reading that book, I, uh, or no, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't in that book. I think I got the um, the University of Mississippi has that series of books where they do interviews with their, you know, they collect all the interviews of a particular director right. and they oh, put yeah. them all in one book. And there's a Hal Ashby volume, and I was reading in that they had one that he had done right after he shot the landlord, and he said it was amazing to him because he had never shot a film before. And when he watched The Landlord, The Dailies, he said he was shocked that it was a movie that reflected his values and his outlook on life. And he said, how that gets in the movie, I don't know. He said, that's just a shocking mm-hmm. thing. But I see it, and he said, it's there. It's me. It's definitely the mm-hmm. way I see the world. And somehow, without me realizing that I'm doing it, it just it comes through. And he was, he was so shocked at the that that happened, you know, kind of unintentionally, I think. And uh, I think that comes through with all of his movies. Actually. I'm sure, I'm or sure Jewison is in the, is in the movie. Yes, he is. I mean, I mean, Jewison can't take a shit without talking about Hal Ashby. He's, he's <laughs> like, he's like Bogdanovich always bringing up John Ford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you don't even have to ask him about it. I hope you're like, oh yeah, that reminds me. You, you said you're hungry. That reminds me of something that John Ford told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, Hal Ashby won his only Oscar for editing in the Heat of the Night uh, by Norman Jewison. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you were to choose, if you were to choose one Ashby movie, what would it be to recommend to someone? Harold and Maude. I just think that's the movie that uh, just about everybody loves, and for good reason. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I think it probably probably reflects a lot of his worldview. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's for me it's a tie between that and being there because I'm just such a fan. I think being there was so ahead of its time. As far I love as, being there too. That would be close second. Yeah, for me because it's, it's so prescient. I, you know, yeah, it is. When you look back at it now and what's going on and what we're living through at the moment and yeah, it is. I, it really is. Yeah. Except really. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've seen it. I saw a couple of new ones this week too, and I can run through Water them real World. fast. You've been watching that for the past few days. Well, right? I have been seeing that. That's for sure. In in uh, in three dimensional. <laughs> oh, that must be wondrous. <laughs> yeah. Which one's the greatest uh, yeah. disaster, Adam? The the movie Waterworld or what you see outside your window? Which which one? <laughs> well, so far the, the Waterworld film, but th- it is subject to change. We're still under a flood watch, so <laughs> hopefully uh, that won't be the case. But no, I saw Predator earlier this week. The the Predator. The Predator. Is, <laughs> yes, which is. Uh, Directed by Shane Black, and I went mainly because I generally like Shane Black. We're, you know, he's the writer of the original Lethal Weapon and director of such things as Nice Guys, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and you know other things. And so 
Uh, and I noticed that it was co-written by Fred Decker. Now, Fred Decker might be a name that doesn't resonate with people, huh. but if I tell you a couple of things he's done, you'll know. He did two great uh, classic horror films uh, from the 80s that are finally remembered. One's Night of the Creeps, and the other one is The Monster Squad, which is kind of a monster parody movie, but uh, there's a whole legion of fans of those both. And so when I saw Fred Decker was on the screenwriting credits, I thought, well, I believe I'll check this out. <laughs> And boy, was I disappointed. Not that I mean I don't know what I was expecting, but it's it's just really a a bad relaunch of. They're more interested in franchise building. You can tell right from the beginning, and the final shot just says it all. That we just want to make another movie. We don't really care. And it's got these attempts at humor. All the the macho guys are together, and they're cracking jokes, and none of the jokes are funny, and they replayed the same jokes over and over again, and and they weren't funny the first time, and. You know, the action sequences are passable at best, and I don't know, it just I was just kind of bored with the whole thing, to be well, quite most, honest. Most importantly, Shane Black wrote the first Predator, right? Yes, he, yeah, he, uh, and he's in it, uh, too, you know, he has a part in it, that's true, so that, yeah, I forgot about that. So, yeah, he, he had a, um, you know, there's a connection there, so it was, I thought it was a great idea to bring him back to the franchise, but, um I don't know. It was it was it's a misfire, and they're saying that it did like 25 million this weekend, which is not a big number. And I don't know if people are going to return to it next week. But anyway, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's certainly better than those Paul W. S. Anderson <laughs> Predator uh-huh. movies, like Alien versus Predator. It's, oh, it's a step yeah. up from those, but that's not saying much. And then I saw the Paul Feig movie, A Simple Favor which is based on this best-selling novel, and it's one of these that I say it's Gone Girl-esque, because it riffs on Gone Girl and has some of those same plot elements, you know, where you think something is going on, and then it turns out that that's completely fabricated, you know, something else is happening, and people that you think are dead come back, and they're not really dead, and that, you know, kind of like Gone Girl, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's basically Anna Kendrick. She's a... Uh, video blogger and she does these blogs about how to be a successful chef and cook in your home and all this stuff and she uses her blog to when her best friend played by Blake Lively disappears she uses it as a way to rally the community that she has online to help her find her friend and anyway it it has some of the Paul Feig humor that you find in some of those things he's done with Melissa McCarthy and there is some of that uh, I, I think that actually hurts the movie because I think it, it would have been better had it gone a little darker and, and as, opposed, as opposed to him insisting on keeping it kind of light. I mean, it's there's some suspenseful stuff going on in it, and it's interesting, and it's 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 a good movie. It's just I think it could have been better. I think it could have been a great movie if he'd gone for the for the darker elements and went went there. But he he wants to keep it light and. Um, but I'll tell you, I'm enjoying Blake Lively a little bit more than I thought. At first, I didn't have much faith in her, but she's she's actually, you know, with The Shallows and this. I loved her in The Shallows. She was yeah, great she's, in that getting, movie. She, she's good here. She's very, very good, and nobody wears a pantsuit like she does in this movie, trust me. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'll tell you that. So... Uh, I, you know, it's it's good, it's good. I, I'm just not going to tell you it's great, but it's it's worth checking out. Don't know if it's worth seeking out in the theater, but certainly when it comes to video or whatever, I'd, I'd say go for it. And then I saw Mandy, 
which is the new Nick Cage movie, mm. and, uh, directed by Panos Cosmatos, who is the son, son. of George P. Cosmatos. Oh, the son of George. <laughs> yeah. I would just change my name. I would just change my name to Son of George Cosmatos. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes, it is. But so I had to seek it out. I said, "What? What, what kind of film does the offspring of George P. Cosmatos?" What kind of film would he be churning out? I have to see this. And plus, he was getting really, really good word of mouth early on. So I saw I, I, it was, and it was really odd because it has a really weird release platform. They played it in theaters one night only, which was Thursday night, two times. I think it was like seven and ten. And then, if you want it after that, you have to go online. You have to go buy it. It's a video on demand release. So one one night theatrical, and then boom. Straight to video. So, but it's some of the best acting Nick Cage has done in years. He's really good in it. Um, it's very trippy. The visuals are very um, reminiscent of somebody on a bad acid trip, I should say, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and if you're doing drugs while watching this movie, I can't imagine what that experience might be like because that would just be. Uh, What's but the premise? Uh, it's basically just a revenge movie, gussied up with a lot of over-the-top visuals, is mm-hmm. essentially what it is. His wife, his girlfriend, wife, uh, I'm not really sure if it's his wife or his girlfriend, um, I believe it's his wife, and she gets kidnapped by this religious group of religious fanatics who were the premises that she, they were basically given a bad batch of uh, pharmaceuticals, and it's driven them out of their minds, and so they've kidnapped his wife and then they kidnap him and and they hold him you know just hold him as captives and then uh something happens i won't really get into it too much but anyway he goes back for revenge for what they did and uh, the whole last 45 minutes of the movie is him dispatching revenge in the most gruesomely violent ways that you can uh, uh that you can imagine for no about thanks. 45 minutes and it's way too long it's two hours and a minute and so i think had it been trimmed by a good half hour, a little tighter, I think it would have been much better. The first hour is a little bit tough to, to get into. the When it gets to the revenge stuff, that's a little bit more interesting. I think the first hour is just, he's so interested in, in all these visual ideas that he's trying to get across that he really kind of, the plot is just kind of, he just kind of forgets about the plot, I think, for the first hour. But then he gets to the story and the meat of it, and it, it's it's... You know, there's some interesting story stuff going on. Like I said, it is uh, interesting what he brings to the plate from a visual standpoint. So uh, I think it's I'm not. Um, it was a mixed bag for me. Slightly better than the Predator, but not as good as a Simple Favor. Somewhere in the middle, and you know, but it's it's a curio, shall we say? But um, yeah, it didn't didn't quite do the job for me. But but uh, you know. Interesting in some it, ways. It so. didn't get the job done. No, it did not get the job done. So Okay. But it's one that's been the horror community have been really, really talking it up and <coughs> so I and being that it was uh part of the Cosmatos family name I had to investigate. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh that's a legacy that needs to be upheld. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, man. I mean, he had another movie similar to this last year, which was Mom and Dad. Yeah. It was a screwball off the wall movie that got raves for its kind of niche status. 
It was nutty. And it was all, it was all right. It's all right. It's okay. I, I got sick of it, like, probably 40 minutes into it. Yeah. So, well, maybe they can do that Cobra sequel, and his and the Junior oh. Cosmatos can... <laughs> can and it'd be Cage as Cobra. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> that would be yeah. a reboot, I guess, but... Anyway, yeah, anything and his, his Brigitte Nielsen will be the Terry Bradshaw or somebody. Hey, I uh, I got really excited because Stallone Instagrammed something yesterday. It was a behind the scenes photo from Cobra, and he and he was like, "I always wish we would have gone back and done a sequel to this." And I was like, "Well, Ooh. hell yeah, do it now." That's right. Now's the time. What are you waiting for? He can pull it off. I mean, he wouldn't make a dollar though, and that's what he wants. Oh, I'm. I bet that movie would make a couple of dollars. Yeah, it if has you a remember, cult following. It does have a cult following. It does following. have a cult following, and that cult is <laughs> me. Sure but <laughs> if you remember, uh, that movie was the biggest opening weekend in Warner Brothers history at that point. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Um, yep. And they're just about to come out with the Blu-ray of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has one of our interviews on it, and uh, so I think uh, I think it's prime time to revisit Marion Cobretti. Uh, yeah, I'm starting my campaign. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Anyway, so uh, okay, let's talk about the Burt Reynolds. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Two, two weeks ago. And Dean, you probably did the last. I know that he did festivals and things, but I don't think he spoke for more than 30 minutes at these festival Q&As he would do with no. uh, Last Movie Star. So you probably you probably did the last long-form interview with him. Yeah. Which you're you're maintaining your record. Like, not long <laughs> after they're pretty, you interview these people. By the time away. I'm able to get to them, they're, they're pretty elderly. And uh, yeah. that's at least three. I think. Uh, Haskell Wexler, Burt Reynolds. Who else? There's another one. I'm I'm drawing a blank, but there's a, there's another one somewhere because we we've riffed on this several times. I just can't. I'm drawing a blank. Who the other one is? But, Lalo's still yeah. living. No, we'll talk yeah, about Lalo, Lalo, Lalo in a second. We'll talk about yeah. Lalo in a second. But yep. uh, Burt Reynolds. Um, you know, we we are all heartbroken because we love Burt Reynolds. But did. there's there's questions there's questions about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because he had not shot his part yet. He was scheduled to shoot for two days, uh, and uh, the Spawn Ranch has now completed the the building of the sets at Spawn Ranch where he was going to do his scene. And it's not like they can cut out the part of George Spahn, I don't think, because I think George Spahn, other parts are dependent upon that role, too. Like the one mm-hmm. that Ru- Rumor Willis was just signed on to. No, no, Rumor Willis is the actress, is Joanne Petit, the woman that Pettit, visited yeah. Tate. Pettit, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the Elle Fanning role of Squeaky, you know, I, I'm not sure that any of that stuff exists beyond George Spahn's scene. At the ranch, yeah. but maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, so I'm pretty sure they'll probably recast it, especially since they're so close to filming it. 
Your your um, guess of the recasting is was probably pretty spot on. You were thinking maybe Bruce Stern, right? I think that would be the most. Uh, that would make the most sense. The, the easiest and the most, you know, kind of to get it going. Yeah. Um. They also shot. They also sh- just shot at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, for three days. And they're going to premiere the movie at the Playboy Mansion. Mm. Like, is this the ultimate <laughs> LA movie or what? It's got. <laughs> I think it is. Shaping up to be that way. So, anyway, for those that haven't listened to it yet, if you want to listen to the last great conversation with Burt Reynolds, it's Dean did it, and it's up there. Yeah, so, yeah. He, it was great. He was very sweet and and uh, generous. And uh, my only, I guess, uh, I guess I can't leave it without a little bit of regret. But uh, I was hoping to talk to him more, uh, one more time. Yeah, he's sure open to it. Was. Yeah, he would have done it. Yeah, and and we made a little press with that. I remember because of his comments about Boogie Nights. Uh, it made the uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson website did something about what he had to say about it and so we we got a little got a little heat from that he talked about tarantino yeah. too sure did no he he was a movie he did in the 80s <laughs> yeah that was <laughs> well the day he died they announced stick is being released on blu-ray i'm not sure if that was coincidental but mm. um there was a very day he that he died but that's one of the posters that he signed for me he signed yeah. the stick poster deliverance and uh, longest yard. Very good. Very wow. good. Yeah, he was a Amazing legend. Stuff. He was a legend, and he was, there, somebody was talking about that time that he went on the Tonight Show. I, I never saw this clip, and I need to look it up. But somebody was talking about the time he poured water on Mark Summers, who uh, yes. used to host some of those shows on Nickelodeon. And I don't know what caused that. I don't know all the story behind that. But they said he was just. <laughs> See that was and that was kind of that was kind of angry. That was during okay. the Leno period of time. Uh and you could tell he was a bit pissed off. But uh all the stuff on Carson when they would throw stuff at each other on Carson and the whipped cream and everything. That stuff's hysterical. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there was a, I, I always liked his his cameo in silent movie. Oh which, yeah. I always thought it was terrific because there's always been that rumor around that he had a mirror in every room so he could look at himself, and every he couldn't be in a room where he couldn't look at himself. That's that's always been a story, and he riffed on that. He made fun of that in uh, in, in in Silent Movie. There's a scene where he goes right by the mirror and he winks at the mirror. <laughs> the mirror. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I remember and, that. And yeah. kind of, that's kind of an inside joke for that you know that rumor that had been floating floating around for years. And then there's the uh, the joke where he's in the shower and Dom DeLuise and Mel Brooks and Marty Feldman all w- wind up in the shower with him. Yeah. <laughs> and they're scrubbing his chest and his back. <laughs> a, little, a little bit more of a, probably a rumor-based comedy, but... Uh, yes. Uh, Terrific. He you know what? Humor about I, uh, I watched a couple of years ago, I watched his TV movie, Fade In. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which he commented once, it should have been called Fade Out. But I really liked it. It had him and uh, Barbara Loden uh, playing. Uh, he was a stuntman on uh, the set of a 
uh, of a movie, and she's the editor, one of the editors, and they launch a romance. Very, very odd movie. Has some uh, background stuff from a from a European movie uh, yeah. uh, being filmed there. So uh, there's uh, Terrence Stamp is in it and some other unusual people. Uh, yeah, Fabian was good. One of my favorite stories from him on the tonight his Tonight Show time when he was guest hosting was he said that he the first time he went in Carson's office he was sitting there and there were all these pictures on the wall and he he said to one of the staff he said oh these these must be the people that Johnny loves he's got them up on the wall so he can be reminded how much he loves these people oh no 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 that's not what it is these are the people Johnny hates. He likes to constantly be reminded on a daily basis how much he hates these people's guts, so he'll never have them on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that was always one of my favorites. Yeah. I like, out of all the tweets and stuff that came out about his death, which it was interesting, like, watching 30-something reporters on CNN and Fox and all that kind of stuff who, you know, they don't really... Have they don't really know just who. like the vaguest idea of who Burt Reynolds was. Oh yeah, they don't terrible. have any, any concept of what he meant to the culture at a certain period of time. But uh, one of the funniest tributes I saw on Twitter was Michael Lee and Black of all people. Apparently, they worked together in some capacity. And he said when Burt Reynolds walked up to shake his hand, he was like, "Hi, I'm Burt Reynolds. I used to be big in the '70s." <laughs> That's how he introduced himself. <laughs> Oh wow! Oh, uh, Bert. Well, you know, this weekend they're actually running Smokey and the Bandit in theaters this weekend at AMC. As a, yeah. yeah, at AMC, there's a tribute. Yeah, which is I thought was nice. I was glad that they, you know, thought he was important enough that they should do that, and I was impressed. It was good. Yeah. And with, too bad they can't show. They couldn't show Deliverance instead. It's best, probably his best movie. But. Yeah. But I guess they figured they'd get more of the mainstream audience to see yeah, I guess the band. So. They're not going to yeah. see. They're not going to run in there make a Heck make a beeline to see that they deliver it. Let us after you. I thought it was my family when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, the, the the honorary uh, Oscars. Yes. Uh, those those uh, recipients have been announced. Now the ceremony takes place November 18th, um, and one of our uh, favorite previous guests is one of the recipients, Lalo Schifrin, mm-hmm. getting an honorary Oscar. My deal. Deserved. Very My much, deserved. yeah. I was just—I have a collection of his scores, and I just pulled it out a couple of nights ago and played it, and I was like, God, like nobody sounds like Lalo Schifrin. No, like, not nobody. Yeah. True. He's fantastic. Yeah. Very few people so tried many. to copy him either. That's what's so weird about it. Like, mm-hmm. I think he had a tremendous just, influence on like uh, TV TV music. I think. Well, mm. he did a lot of TV themes. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and look, there's a lot of TV music. You know, well, obviously Mission Impossible, but I think he did what Mannix. I think is another one he did. Yeah. There's some others. I mean, he he was did really. He, did he do Medical Center? I believe he did. I think yeah. you're right. Mm-hmm. That's another good one. So yeah, I mean he, you know he had all that going, and then of course you know the the scores, and like you said, he's there's nobody like him. Um, he and he was he had a lot of range, you know, or had a yeah. lot of range, you know. Yeah. You couldn't really pigeonhole him because he can go from Cool Hand Luke to Dirty Harry to, you know, so much versatility. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's true. He he wasn't afraid, and he apparently he wasn't dissuaded from incorporating, you know, kind of the the Latin part of his repertoire into his yeah. film scores. Right. Yeah. He's uh, he's one of the greats, and mm-hmm. completely deserved. Who knows? Maybe yeah. they listen to our show. <laughs> we need to give this guy an Oscar that he deserved back in '67. He sure did. Cool hand loose. There was a lot better so. score that year. I, yeah. I, I think I think somebody somebody's going to listen to our Uva Bowl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we should mention uh, the other anyway, winners. So C- C- Cicely Tyson also is receiving mm-hmm. one. Jesus, Cicely Tyson has never won an Oscar. Ninety-three years old. Uh, Unbelievable. The oldest winner of one, I think. Um, I'm not sure about that. But the first black woman to win an honorary Oscar. Hmm. Yeah, so that's absolutely. completely deserved, and and she's still doing great work. She is. Yeah, she's phenomenal. She was fantastic in uh, in Last Lag Flying. I was going to say she's a great cameo that. or supporting part. Yeah. Great. Uh, yeah. Martin Levy, who was a publicist. Marvin Levy. Is it Marvin, Marvin. Levy or Martin? Marvin. Marvin I'm Levy. Have I ever talked to him? He, anyway, he's he's been close to uh, Spielberg. Hmm. Um, that's the Spielberg filmmaking team. He's kind of been around with them forever. So. Okay, so is it just the three of them? And uh, also Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Kennedy, I think, oh, are, the, uh, yeah. are winning the so, uh, Irving Thalberg Award. So Levy is right in with them because they're all collaborators, career-long collaborators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, I wonder. I wonder if some uh, you know kind of a slip you a C note and uh, you put them on the list. Kind of backdoor dealings <laughs> occurred. Does make you wonder. I'm sure he's very deserving. I don't mean to belittle. Yeah, well, you never know. Anyway, yeah, good stuff. So, uh, and on top of that, the Oscars announced that uh, they're going to hold off on the best popular film for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That means almost for certain, uh, uh, Black Panther will be a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, oh, it better be, or you'll hear <clears throat> another. There'll be another protest. Oh well, yeah, it'll get a lot great. of technical I mean, noms too. So, uh, but uh, yeah. Well, it's generally well reviewed. I mean, I wasn't over the yeah. moon about it, but you know, it's. It's 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 fine. It's okay, but yeah, a lot of people do love it, and the critics seem to seem to generally take to it. So I guess you know that would be that would that wouldn't be uh, far fetched for them to do that. It'd be the first yeah. superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture, right? Yeah, it would. Since Superman was Superman nominated? Nope. No. Wow. No, and the, and see the Dark Knight. Everybody, that's the whole reason for that's this the thing, reason, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody. Blank man. Sit, there was no blank man. Blank man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Condor man. Hero <laughs> at large. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh. and the list goes on and on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys ever watch any inserts? Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, the it's, one with Richard uh, Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, where they're selling uh, porno movies. Oh, I saw in it in the thirties. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah, I. I found it to be pretty insufferable, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bob Hoskins, yeah, it too, is. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those infamous movies that I and I. It was cut severely when it got came to America. It was, and I think it was shot in the UK or something. And yeah. I can't remember what the. But anyway, I know when it got here, they they severely cut it down to like ninety minutes, and the version I saw was the complete. Hour and fifty-seven minute version, which oh didn't wow, you seen the full inserts? Wow, uh, I saw the full inserts. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that made it any better, because it still was pretty bad. But anyway, but it is interesting that that was made during the period when he was hot off of his success with Jaws, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was when he was at his most popular peak of his career, probably. So, so, yeah. It was probably has, wasn't it made? I think it was made before Jaws, but they probably released it after Jaws. Too. That could be. They probably re-released it. To yeah. he's got that he's got that great old Hollywood hair. There's something of, in, mm-hmm. in that movie inserts, and it's the same hair that De Niro has in Guilty by Suspicion. Mm. I've always been crazy about that haircut. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, it's a kind of a weird thing to praise, but uh, and for su- for some reason there 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 are certain movies like Guilty by Suspicion that I like that fascinate me, and anytime it's on, which it's really not ever, I, I'll watch it. But uh, at the same time, I realize that it's like a TV movie. It feels yeah. like a TV movie. It's weird how, uh, when a film hits us like that. We know it's not good, we know, but we like it anyway. We like it because it gives us a comfort feeling. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the blacklist comforts like... me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm comforted by the Hollywood Eight or whatever it was. <laughs> All right. The Star Chamber is one for me like that. Oh man, I, mean, I haven't seen that movie. since I was a kid. No, it's not. I know it's not really a good movie, but I think it it's is. very like entertaining. It. it is. It's very yeah. entertaining. It's it's far Peter from Hines. bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's far from far from a bad movie. No, it's and, not a terrible movie by no means. But uh, yeah. neither is Guilty by Suspicion. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's true. Now, a bad movie would be The Jazz Singer with Neil Diamond, which. I'm embarrassed to admit I have a fondness for. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible movie that I can't defend, and everybody listening to this is going to question my taste from here on out, which is just fine. But <laughs> I have to, I have to confess, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, guilty pleasures are a different category entirely. Yeah, like, you know, I've never, I've never seen the jazz singer. No, oh. is 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 Neil Diamond like terrible? In it, like, should he have not attempted acting, or is he passable? <laughs> well, there's some embarrassing moments. There's one moment where he he puts on blackface, which is oh no, not, not really? Easy. Yes, yes. I kid you not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I am dead serious about that. And 
so there's a yeah his his bandmates are are, are all black uh, are black and he, they go to a club and he doesn't realize that the audience is black and so he puts on blackface so that they won't know the difference <laughs> cuz he's the only white guy oh in the movie <laughs> yeah, it's that's at the beginning of the movie but oh the, hang on i'm i'm looking it up on my uh, tivo to see if it's playing anytime i got to see that stuff i guess Lawrence <laughs> Olivier Lawrence Olivier was just trying to probably create a nest egg for his ex-wife or probably. something. Or for Plowright? Yeah, or before yeah he, he, had, he had already had cancer at that point, and he had come come back from it. He thought he was a goner, and then he had this, uh, you know, he, he miraculously came through it and went on to make a bunch of movies. And I think he felt like he was living on borrowed time, so he was just trying to, like you said, do what mm. he could. But you know that movie has I like some of the songs and the storyline between the father and the son, you know, trying to to find them, you know, and a common ground. I, I enjoy that element of it. And Lucy I don't know. Inez. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's in it. Yeah, and I would never tell people it's a good movie by any stretch because it's not. But it's directed by Richard Fleischer, of course, who we <laughs> reference often on the show. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, so. See, I like that movie, Nothing in Common, for the father-son dynamic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. not as embarrassing okay. as Jazz Singer. But, no, uh, no, it's not that know. bad. <laughs> but uh, And Neil Diamond does have some good songs. Um, yeah, and the songs Amer- are good. Isn't it, it, is, um, I mean, I know Hello is from the Jazz Singer, right? Mm-hmm. Hello again, um, yeah. America. America is from the Jazz Singer. And the other one is Love See, on I the Rocks. I th- Love on the Rocks. I think his best. I think his best song is I Am. I said. I know it's not from that movie, but mm. uh, I love I Am. I said. Yeah, that's. And this that's is coming from the things. very the, the Manilow snob. Yeah. <laughs> you're not supposed to like. You're not supposed to like two old Jew crooners at the same time. It's an unwritten <laughs> rule. Especially one who dresses in blackface. <laughs> <laughs> right, Barry never did that. <clears throat> no, Barry didn't do that, so we could give him credit for that one. <laughs> it's kind of surprising he didn't shirt, do something that similar for Copacabana. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brown face. You know, I can remember seeing that on cable, though, the jazz singer. When he came out in blackface, I didn't think anything of it at the time. I was so, uh, I was so naive about things, you know, so, you know, I was, I was just, I don't know, eight, nine years old, and I just didn't, you know, I didn't realize how bad that was. Well, until I, I, was I, I guess that I guess that was intended as a throwback to the original, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. But yeah, so it was. No. Uh, it's it's something. <laughs> it's the most amount of time we've spent talking about the jazz singer. That's something else. Oh yeah. <laughs> didn't mean to steer the conversation there, but uh, I don't. I don't think we'll ever find ourselves in this place again. No, probably as, not. As Seals and Cross once sang, yes. we may never pass this way again. God, yeah. I think they're, I think they're, I think I think music and movies, music and movies is the unwritten theme of tonight's show. Because we went from like Stars Born to Blaze to Johnny Paycheck to uh, the Jazz Singer. Yeah, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, ending up with Seals and Croft. Yep. We haven't talked about Lost Horizon yet, so we can <laughs> Oh no. Lay off of that one. <laughs> That's the movie that infamously broke up 
Bacharach and David. David. Yeah. yeah, they 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 were so angry mm. at each other that they actually broke up their partnership over that movie. Oh man, that's that's yeah. tragic. What about uh, what about that movie Fall from Grace? Anybody ever see that? The one that John Melanie yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah, a long time ago. I thought it was okay. It's fine. You know a movie I liked? I liked the George Strait movie. Pure Country. Yeah, pure Country. Yeah. Pure Country. Yeah. Yeah, that was that wasn't that was it was fine too. I agree. It came out around the same time. And I just remember Fall from Grace, it had two divergent reviews. Like I remember Roger Ebert gave it four stars. He loved it. And then Leonard Malton gave it a bomb <laughs> in his book. Mm. You couldn't find two more different reviews, but I was kinda in the middle on it. I remember it had Kay Lins in it, I think, is the Kay Lins, wow. Yeah. Haven't seen her in a while. Yeah. But Mariel Hemingway in it? Uh, don't I don't remember her. I think so. I think she is. Yeah, she's on the poster. So she must be in it. I just pictured the poster at bye bye. You just put random indicator. people on a poster with yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll sell. Yeah. So, I've been think I've been thinking of watching Star 80 again. I get an oh. itching every year. Yeah, I keep hoping they're going to do a Blu-ray on that. I keep hoping the Warner Archives are are, are going to, you know, they finally did issue a widescreen DVD of it. Thank goodness. Because for years you could only get that 4x3, which is hard. Ooh, that's yeah. terrible. And uh but they finally did do a one uh the Widescreen transfer, but it still needs a lot of remastering. It needs some some work, some cleanup. And yeah, it does. It needs some cleanup. So I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that, uh, that that's going to happen. Well, I can't expect a big, you know, paycheck out of it because uh, absolutely nobody will go and watch that because <laughs> it is, you know, horribly downbeat. So, well, I would buy that movie in a heartbeat. And if yeah, I mean, sure. you're you're, sit, you're you're sitting here listening to all the movies that Adam's doing over month after month. Star eighty, uh, you know, would not be an anomaly in no. that list of obscure movies that nobody will watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no, because Warner Archive is issuing this month. They're issuing Queen of Outer Space. They're issuing Looker, the Michael Crichton movie. <laughs> oh God! I mean, they're putting those out, and they're putting out Bad Ronald next month, which is a major those television big, movie. Those have big cult followings. All three well, of them. Yeah. And so, <laughs> if they're putting those out, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Star Eighty. Yeah. Why not? Uh, why not? Yeah. The other the other Fosses are pretty much available, right? Is, does Lenny sure, have a? Yeah. Lenny Lenny has a Criterion, or does it? It's yeah. a Twilight no, Time. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's Twilight, Twilight Time. time. They they put it out, but so yeah, close. it's out there and. And then you got the, you know, all that jazz has the terrific, terrific Criterion, which has the behind-the-scenes footage. And right. That's superb. And then, of course, Cabaret, they did a restoration on that, like a frame-by-frame restoration. I think Warner, Warner put that out. What about so, Sweet Charity? Yeah, that's out there. That's out there. I don't think they restored it or anything. I mean, they it's, it's a good-looking transfer. It's fine, but it's not like a frame-by-frame restoration like they did with some of the others. That's the only one of his movies I've never seen, and I should watch that just to complete it. Yeah, as a curio. Yeah. So, yeah, so so few films, yeah. unfortunately. Man, so why why not just you know give his last film its, its due? It's it's a staggeringly good last film. It, it sure is. is. When you compare Fantastic. it to some of the other last films. 
fantastic performances. Yeah. <clears throat> Warner Archives, listen to us. We're 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 looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I bet um, I bet and, it and, would be and, expensive though for the music rights. <clears throat> well, I don't know. They've already done. That. They've already put it out on regular DVD. So okay. uh, apparently, they've already they've already got all that locked down because they already put out the DVD. The DVD is is a widescreen, so they they've actually corrected that part. The only thing they need to do is to do a little bit of restoration as far as upgrading it to a high def format, in, yeah. in which they have their own. And Warner Brothers has their own uh, restoration facility there which they don't have to farm it out. I know that's how they do their stuff. So it wouldn't be out of the question for them to... But I know they like to find the best film elements that they can on these things, and they're constantly... See, so maybe that's a maybe that's an issue. Maybe the film elements have really uh, deteriorated. I mean, a few years back, uh, they played a film print of it. Uh, at, oh, okay. Um, they played it at the Arclight. Richard Linkletter hosted it. Oh, that would have been uh, awesome. And did a Q&A afterwards and had, like, absolutely nothing of value to say at the end of it. But, <laughs> uh, but the, so, it, I mean, they do have a presentable print of it. seems like they'd be able to work off that. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Something, to, something to think about because, like I said, when you're talking Looker, directed by Michael Crichton, I mean, I, sure. I'm not sure that that, uh, you know, you, that Star 80 is, a little bit more well regarded than that one, I think. So, but Looker happens to be a sci-fi movie, and that's well, that's in vogue now. But uh, nothing Looker's against not it, a bad movie. No, no, it's entertaining. It's a little trashy, but but uh, it's not bad. I no. still remember the theme song. She's a looker. Well, they are putting out the swarm. I forgot about that. That's another Warner archive. So. Uh, if they could do that, they could do Star Age. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, come on, guys. Come on, Warner. <laughs> Maybe anyway. they just don't want the heat from it. Well, I think the heat, they're probably I think not the even dead. thinking about that. Yeah, I don't think there's any controversy left in that movie. No. Um, no. And we're not even asking for a batch of extras. We're just we just want a good transfer. Yeah. That's all we want. I don't want to. I don't want a picture-in-picture commentary with Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, I'm not asking for anything extravagant. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I just happened to think about this. You know, there is a new licensing deal with uh, Shout Factory with Warner Brothers. Uh, that they. That's how they're getting Cobra. So now that's a thought. Shout Factory might be able to jump in there and do something. So that's a possibility. They. They. Hey, look, dude. Could... You, you know the contacts. It's. It's up to you, man. <laughs> I'm holding well, you personally responsible. <laughs> well, if Shout Factory gets a hold of it, the thing about them is they're gonna do, they're gonna really go all out because they always do. So that's the thing to think yeah. about. Yeah. So anyway, here's hoping. Well, well, um, yeah. What is the deal, Adam? With these Criterion discs are getting crucified lately. For their color correction, uh, all having like a teal tint to them. Oh yeah, like Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, I've been hearing that, and I'm not sure what the where, where the source of that problem is. But yeah, there's there's um, I don't know if if they're 
doing the transfers at a new facility from from what they used to do. But yeah, there's several that have gotten a, a some some bad words. You didn't uh, you didn't notice it in your in the Midnight Cowboy though, did you? I didn't get a review copy of that one. That was okay. one they ran out of, of the review. So I just kept my old MGM UA Blu-ray that I had from 2009. That's the one that uh, uh, that that Jeffrey Wells, who complained about the teal look of the new yeah. one, that's the one he said was much better. Yeah, yeah I there's another one that just came out that they said the same thing about. Yeah, what from was Criterion? Because I know I know um, there's another one and I can't I can't remember what it was. Sisters. Oh, mm. Wow. Because yeah. I have the Blu-ray of that one. Arrow did one of that right. one years ago. And I have that one. The one Because uh, it was only available in UK, and I have the region-free player. So I did, and it, it looked fine. It was... Uh, it's, it's fine. So I, I, and and I all think of these, did... all of these, like when they're alive, all of these are cinematographer-approved. So... Um, yeah. And there's a lot of variables that might be coming into play, but it seems like they would do a pressing, a test pressing of a couple just to make sure that the transfer is okay, and then go through with doing the mass-produced transfer. Yeah, or or maybe it's just somebody's watching it. But I don't think it's a a critic watching it and the the colors off on their screen because it would show up with everything they review. Yeah, yeah, right. It's got to be it's got to be a transfer issue. But there are case there are cases like when Lauren Roisman had that debacle with the French connection. Um <clears throat> he looked at it and, and he approved it. And then it was the pressing of it that mm-hmm. got leached out. And he was completely unaware of it. And here's this product out there that says director and cinematographer approved and it it was it was screwed up. Yeah. That's true. It makes you wonder how things like that get get away from the original DPs and that they don't. Yeah, and and that brings up something else I wanted to mention too. I'm glad you brought this up because just saw a news item that uh, Christopher Nolan and Paul Thomas Anderson are they made a statement that they're going to be getting together with television manufacturers and set the standards for ultra high definition television sets because yeah. a lot of directors are complaining. About they say the look, you know, they have those default settings in your television sets, but now the TV sets are so advanced to the point now where you can actually get the settings right and, and really get the movie to look uh, pretty close to what they originally envisioned. And he said they're going to be getting together. He he and Christopher Nolan are, are teaming up, Paul Thomas Anderson, Christopher Nolan, and they're going to actually get together with TV manufacturers and set some standards. That they're going to. No one wants by. to make them look exactly like they did in 1969. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that may be true. Roll I'm so pissed off at him folks. about that. Uh, oh yeah, too. changing the color scheme on 2001. Yeah, I just don't understand that. I didn't yeah. either. We're gonna watch something that's unrestored, because we all know that Stanley Kubrick loved his movies to look like shit. Yeah. Well, you know, Kubrick was always in, and he always embraced new technologies, as we all know. And that's the thing. I, I can't help but think if he were alive today, he would be embracing this, what we have to work with. You know, this, <coughs> these wonderful tools that we have now that we didn't have uh, all those years ago. You know. Yeah. So. Well, he definitely would. He and, yeah, and he had one of those in his pocket, so he would, yeah. he would get yeah. your people in there to. 
restore this frame by frame. You know, stuff yeah. like Barry Lyndon, and which I, I think Criterion did a good job with Barry Lyndon. They did. They did a spectacular job, and, and the extras are terrific. Yeah, I, uh, I love their work with that, and it's great. Couldn't recommend it more, but yeah. That's the sad thing about Kubrick when I think about it is that the technology moved so far ahead after his passing, and it's a real shame that he died when he did and didn't get the chance to, to utilize all that we have now that's come along in the almost 20 years since his passing. And yeah. it was so great to see him access those tools, like, you know, kind of like uh, Terrence Malick has done. You know, mm-hmm. something like that, and that that would have been awesome to just witness that. And uh, I just hate it happened, and he wasn't around to witness it. So, I mean, you hear him talk in just in that interview that we posted of him uh, about w- working on a kind of a rustic computer system for the first time on Full Metal Jacket editing. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And then you think of, uh, about w- around the time he died. The internet was just starting to come up, mm-hmm. so um, and apparently he was resistant to the internet. Like he didn't show much interest in it. That's what the um, Warner Brothers, uh, the head of marketing at Warner Brothers at the time, told me that yeah. uh, they built just like a really like a single page thing for Eyes Wide Shut, which I think still exists. And uh, he was like, eh, he was kind of apathetic to it, which was odd. Yeah. That's surprising. Yeah, it kind of is. I know, but I think his attitudes would have changed as when he would have seen the full potential of it. You know, because like you said, it was in the infancy, and yeah. nobody really knew exactly. As much as he was into the marketing of his movies, as much of oh. a hand as he had in that. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. And then you know another interesting thing because. <laughs> when I interviewed the the people that just made this coup, the um. Tony, the guy that just made the Kubrick, uh, the Leon film worker, film worker, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I asked this question. He was like, "You ask the weirdest questions," because (laughs) he was talking about screening the movie uh, for everybody at the house at the Kubrick estate. And he was talking about that experience. And then he walked out and he saw Kubrick's gravesite in the backyard and everything. And uh, I asked him, uh, "Could you could you sense Kubrick in that house?" And he said, uh, he said no. Kubrick, hmm. Kubrick was gone. And really, that's one of the tragedies of, you know, the earth-shattering uh, tragedy of his death with the people that lived with him because he was such an overpowering figure. He was a deity even in, in his own home. Yes. And so, and, and everyone is running around the estate for him, their lives essentially revolve around him, and mm-hmm. he's gone. And I remember mm-hmm. reading, like, after he left, people were just wondering that lived there, that he had no idea what to do. Yeah. You know, you know, they lost their place in the world. You definitely get that sense from Vitaly in, uh, in Filmworker. Thank you. 